and you're very welcome to a podcast which is all about the Irish League. My name is Peter Cinnamon and a blowout in the Bell Classico kicked off what was a riveting weekend in the Niffle Premiership. Inspired by some captivating performances from McGinn and O'Connor, the Glens give David Healy some Derby Day Blues and Warren Feeney a much needed boost in East Belfast. Lauren, they fail to capitalise on their chance to return to the summit after a frustrating day in Balamina, while the Reds turn on the thrusters to thwart some informed Swifts. We're going to chat about that, plus the latest push for an all-island league on this week's edition of Kicking Match. Another week, another podcast, another seven days closer to the big man in a red suit delivering presents. More importantly, Another couple of days where I know you, listener, have not sorted out those presents or even have an idea. I had a big conflab with the wife earlier on today and I feel like we've got a plan, an action to get there. But I know the gift that you want is a little dose of some Irish League analysis. And I am here with my trusty elf to deliver such delights. Uh, It's great to welcome back to the podcast this week, football writer with various different papers. Hello, Stuart McKinley. Hello, Peter. I don't think I've ever been called an elf before, so that's the first. It played into my metaphor. You see, I'm trying to create some sort of festive feel to the podcast. I should probably get, like, sleigh bells and add them to the opening jingle to give it that seasonal feel. So far, the usual things that we see with this time of year, like matches being called off, hasn't happened yet, that's good. It's too early for Santa Claus to walk out with the teams. You know, that that's all coming. I did see a blue and white Santa at the Newry Crusaders game and I've got to give credit to the Newry fan he tried to get the hat on to I think it was Ram McGivern and he, d- he didn't play a ball with it but I'm sure like photographers were like please I need a photograph with a player in a Santa's hat this early in December but uh, I feel like I'm giving away all the fun stuff that's coming our way before though I do get into the games and the stories and everything else in between this has been the week where everybody's putting up their Spotify wrapped if you are a listener to music and, and podcasts and me being a, a creator, a podcaster, I get my own. I was able to pump out my own little stats because it was very nice. My first full year doing the podcast, first full calendar year and it's mad to think that there's like over 100 people that this is like their most listened to podcast. There's over 500 people who like this is the top 10 podcast, all that stuff. So if you've been listening to me throughout the year, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's nice to have a little collection of us all here chatting, listening. You can also do that online on social media uh, if you haven't given me a shout where uh, it's a good place to find out the most instant reaction to what I give to these games. And my instant reaction to the massive game between Glentorn and Linfield on Friday night was pretty much my jaw was on the floor. I would like to claim that I was one of the people that saw this coming. Unfortunately, there's no audio recording that states that fact, but this was catching the Blues completely off guard. It was the best performance of the season for Glenn Warren. It was the best performance of Warren Feeney's tenure. It's probably the best performance that they've had without Conor McMenamin in the side. It was immense. The Blues were not immense, it's fair to say. This night on Friday, it was all Glenn Warren and they may as well be doing laps around the Oval because it was just a stellar performance. It was absolutely unbelievable the start of the game. If you'd have said it was going to go that way, in Linfield's favour, most people would have went, yeah, we would kind of expect that. I don't think anyone would have expected Glen Torn to come out of the blocks that quickly. 
and take the lead so early and then build on it um, immediately. It was, it was a fantastic performance. Warren Feeney said that he, he, he knew that that was going to come. He knew it was coming. And I'm, I'm not really surprised that, that, that he would say that because there's, the quality in that Glen Torn team is there for all to see. And now again is a step above the Irish League. You know, he, he played in Scotland for, for such a long time and did very well. You know, put an awful lot of caps for Northern Ireland. He's one of the, the kings of Leon. Um, for now and again to perform like that isn't a surprise, really, is it? Um, and you see the the outside of the foot assist and the, the quality for the the fourth goal as well. Um, yeah, he's just fantastic. And um, I was trying to think of when have I ever seen Glen Torn hammer Linfield like that. I've seen it the other way around when Glen Torn have been really poor at times over the years. I've never seen Linfield crumble like that, certainly in a big two game. And so I wasn't surprised when there was some of the tweets and the stats were coming out that it was you know before my time watching Irish League football that Glen Torn had beaten them so soundly and, and so comfortably. Never, ever, ever seen Linfield fall to pieces like that, no matter how sort of mediocre maybe they've been at times. And anyone who, who won money on that game in a bet well done to them. You you enjoy your Christmas because uh, I don't know how many people would have predicted that sort of outcome. They completely caught the Blues off guard. That early goal was key to everything. It unsettled the Blues and from there the tails were up. Glentoran could smell blood in the water and led by McGinn, it was just an onslaught on the Linfield goal. McGinn was exquisite playing passes, running at defenders. He was doing pretty much everything. This was also a brilliant game for Daryl Connor, who grew into the game, particularly into the second half. They were a neat little double act. And 3 not half time, they'd won the game there and then. I know people like to say, oh, it could have been well more than four, but that really is not an understatement. The Glens could have been 6 nil up at half time. They just kept coming and coming and coming. And, and the Blues were just completely shell-sucked. Limfield didn't know what to do, how to handle, how to get themselves out of that hole. And I've always felt as though Glentoran are a confidence team. And uh, when that's the way you're built or when you have that mentality, lean into it and getting an early goal against your rivals at home... That, that's that's totally leaning into the fast lane there. But the one side of the story is, of course, the brilliant performance from the Glens. But this complete, as you said, capitulation from Linfield took everybody off guard. There's just something, there's a story in this as well because they have looked tremendous all season, unwavering, never blinking. And to just not show up like this in one of the biggest games from your fans' point of view of the season. I imagine this stings. No matter how great it's been, this is a fly in the ointment of this season so far for Linfield. Yeah. I remember the game at Windsor Park um, a little bit earlier than this in, in the season last year and Glen Torn totally dominated them. And I think there was a bit of naivety maybe in some of the Linfield players then because they maybe hadn't experienced a, a big two atmosphere too much. It's mostly the same personnel. Um, but this is like a different Linfield team this season and they've just been quietly going about their business racking up points obviously they've dropped points against Lauren and home and away which were quite key but just been knocking everyone else off and we're quite comfortable I think in beating the Glens at Windsor got the job done against Cliftonville 
probably most people were expecting that to happen again, and it just wasn't the Olympian team that we've seen. They simply couldn't adapt. They couldn't match the energy. They couldn't match the intensity. And it's easy, I, I imagine, to play with the wind at your back, thinking we're playing great, we've got them on the ropes, but but they simply couldn't react and, and deal with that glimpse worn side. And there's many factors here, and as I've already said, the performance from McGinn is one of them. It's it's one of the best performances I've seen for a player in the Irish League. Probably all season. I mean, it was just fantastic. Just the poise, the vision. I mean, there are some great goals and some brilliant chances, but nothing will probably match that fourth goal that was just nip, tuck, plenty of passes, spread out to O'Connor. To be able to see him running on the right-hand side was fantastic. And he still has a bit of work to do to slot the ball in the goal, but it just felt like a party in East Belfast. And this will be a foundation now that Warren Feeney and the men from East Belfast will want to build on because this has been a, a, a terrible season so far for them. They've never really got going and they've had some really poor results, been on a terrible run. And now they'll hope that they can push on, get more results like this and not let this be a one-off performance. Probably to give Warren Feeney credit as well. <laughs> he hasn't been flavour the month with the Glentorn fans from, from day one. And with Lauren on the horizon, a loss here was going to make that seat of his rather toasty and not in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and things haven't got any better for Warren. It's probably it's got worse, if anything. The way things have been going and those who weren't happy with his appointment were given plenty of ammunition to keep firing bullets at him. But I, I looked at it and thought, Lauren's done his homework here. You talked about the intensity there. If we get the intensity right, maybe we, we can get on top early on. And tactically, Linfield has gone the favour and straight at the back. And I always think it is, if you play straight at the back, um, you're vulnerable in wide areas. You're vulnerable high in the corners because you don't have a fullback in there and your wide centre halves don't really want to come out. And that's where McGinn and O'Connor can, can get a bit of joy. And, and that's what they did. You know, I've, I've seen Darrell O'Connor a couple of times early in the season and I liked him. He's obviously played over in Scotland too, so he's maybe a little bit of a notch above your your average Irish league player too, and um, not in the same class as, as McGinn. I wouldn't say you know, when you've got that little bit of extra quality, when you can get players into those areas where, like, say, defenders don't really want to go, you can really be on a winner, and that's how it proved for the Glens. So give, I would give Warren credit there for his approach and for his tactics. You can create mismatches, can't you? Like they were able to target players with O'Connor or with McGinn and they got so much joy. A player I also want to give uh, a bit of shine to is uh, Cammy Palmer. Like He has, didn't start the season nailed on in the team, but he has grown his role. He's grown uh, into that centre midfield berth for the Glens, and I thought he provided a lot of energy, tenacity, and just did the simple things really well. This is a player who swapped sides this season and it can be a bit of a, a busy engine room uh, for Glentorn and it wasn't really clear who was going to fit in there uh, besides Sule, we've seen Burns, he's obviously out, we've seen McCartan floating in there, Palmer's come in and, and he's established himself now and uh, they will need players like that to continue on producing if this is going to turn their season around and Warren Feeney's going to get a tune out of this team consistently the worrying thing if you're a blues fan is you expect a, a result like this against 
your rivals, you know, sometimes the, the emotion, the occasion, you can have a freak result like this. But this comes off now, losing to Lauren, you skip out in that game against uh, a Crusaders side who, who have proven are on a toured run and do not have their starting eleven fully fit and up to the standard they usually are. So they miss the opportunity to go there. They then have a game against uh, Nuri, who just blow them up against Palomina, just blow them away. And they just didn't come into this game ready. And uh, people always talk about the idea of the next game, it gives you a chance. You want it to come quickly and it gives you a chance to short your all about. And they have that. And when people are listening to this, the game might be over, might become quite close to it. But they've got Lorne, their bogey team, the team that just has them wrapped around their finger in cup and in league and everything else. And it gives them a great chance to just bounce back, but it also creates a chance where if Lorne can do them again, even though it's in the cup, we see this completely unflappable team start to creak. And that's when Linfield will have to prove that, that they can take the wobble and keep on the track. What we've got to remember, though, within this Linfield crisis, because it only takes, like a, as players have said, and David Jeffrey used to say, it only takes a bad half, not just a bad game. So it'll be a, a crisis at Linfield. They're, they're a point player at the top of the league with a game in hand. It's not all not all maybe as black as it's painted. They, they do need a reaction, and that's the one thing that David will be adamant about. Go to Lauren in the Cup, um, and then they've got Dungannon in the league on Saturday, and, and Dungannon are no pushovers. Um, and they'll go to Windsor Park with, with a lot of freedom, and Probably will have them well up for it. Now, but like I say, they're still they're still top of the league. There's there's half a season to go. So much more football to be played, and Linfield have been slow burner, gradually chipping off wins all all season. And it wouldn't surprise me if they just go back into that mode come come Saturday against Dungannon and start knocking up a load of wins together again, and, and end up stretching that lead. I I will give you that, but in this league, and particularly when it comes to this title chase. It is all about fine margins. And we talked a couple of weeks ago where if Linfield had beaten Lorne, they would have had a 13-point gap. That then gets close to the point, despite the game at hand, where Lorne had the chance to overtake Linfield. And they blow it. They blow it away against arguably the per side in the league. And it's a huge result for Balamina at home in the Slemish skirmish. You talk about people feeling as though who on earth predicted Glentorn thumping Linfield? Who predicted Lorne going away to this downtrodden Balamina side and doing anything bar perhaps thumping them themselves? This was a rough and tumble defensive performance from Balamina. They just let the clock tick away, frustrate Lorne, deal with the moments of pressure. This was not a classic, but Lorne missed their chance to go top, and Balamina got what could be a huge point for them. Probably their best performance under Jim Irvin so far. Similar to Glentorn, this felt like not snatch and grab. They stood up, they were able to take on the pressure, and they rightfully take a point. I think the similarities between the, the big two game and the, the Lauren Balamina game are, are quite there for all to see, um, in that if you're not quite on it on any given game day, you will not get the points. And you could, if you're up against a good team, you could get turned over, which is what happened, obviously, um, at the Oval. Going back to that game, I think what's happened now is that 
Blentorn have set a bar where not only will the manager not accept an inferior performance that, but the fans won't. Um, so the players will be you know, made a bit of a rod for their own back. Potentially is what Balamina have done as well. You know, they, They've gone and the manager can now rightly say, well, we can frustrate the champions, take a point off a team that was on a really good win and run. Before that, I won't accept us falling down and rolling over against teams that are in the bottom half of the table. Um, because Jim has said after a few games recently that there was performances that weren't acceptable, defensive performances that were quite poor, and as a defender himself, he'll set the high standards that way. But Jim's still bedding things in. He's, he's 19 games in his managerial career, league-wise anyway, um, and still developing and probably still trying to work out what his best team is, and maybe he's waiting for January to maybe get a few reinforcements in. And the, the gap at the bottom isn't that big. You know, I think Carrick have started to got a few points on the board over these last five or six games. It edged them a little bit away from, from the bottom when the others have been dropping points. But I mean, they're certainly well capable of, of putting away from, from the bottom and, and getting even out, out of the playoff position um, because Dungannon aren't hugely above them points-wise. So, yeah, that could be could be the catalyst for them. It was the first game for me where I could see a real markup improvement from Balamina. I thought they didn't look naive which they had before. I think they went out there with a game plan and broadly they stuck to it and made it work. Lorne are not completely blameless in, in, in this scenario. Yes, they came up against a well-organized and determined Balamina side, but they just simply weren't able to break them down. They were missing Levi Ives and I think him not being there was a huge factor here to a certain extent this run has been based on some really great moments that they've got themselves out of jail be it joe thompson or, or or others and on this occasion it just felt as though their luck ran out and they just simply couldn't produce it they couldn't create the chances they weren't able to force any space for their attackers to get in and it felt as though they crossed the halfway line and there was just this sky blue wall in front of them that they just simply couldn't penetrate and they just couldn't make it work from set pieces. So Balamina frustrate Lorne and Lorne are susceptible to just not being able to break these teams at the bottom of the league. You know, the likes of Balamina and, and, and Yuri and others, they, they just know that they're to defend, they're to frustrate Lorne and we've seen it has worked and it can work and Balamina must have felt at the end of that game a point against a top six side amazing this is going to be great for us and then they look at their phones or they hear in the radio and there's Newry City also getting a point away from home at the cruise last week we talked about how this Crusaders season is veering off course it's completely off piece right now and a result like this will not help them at all they they really should have made their chances earlier on in the game count. They should have made the lead much larger than it was. And then they left the door open for Nuri to capitalise, get a late goal thanks to a bit of foresight, a bit of energy from John McGovern to score one minute from time. And Nuri are riding back home with a huge point for them. It's another tale of two teams here, but let, let's let's start with Nuri. They've been struggling for goals. They've been struggling for any kind of point. And uh, getting one away in North Belfast is going to be massive for them.
going into this congested fixtures here in the festive season? I think any manager whose team is struggling a little bit is always looking for just something to spark you know, a, a recovery and maybe spark a, a bit of a run. And, and there's no doubt that that result getting a, a point and down at Seaview could be that for, for Newry. Seaview, <laughs> to trot out an old cliche, is not an easy place to go and pick up points. And they don't lose many games there. So for a team like Newry to go down there and get a point is a great result. You know, albeit luck all went and got a result there earlier on the season. So maybe is there something about the crews against these so-called weaker teams or the teams in the bottom six um, at home? Would that that would maybe lead you to think there might be a bit of complacency, but I wouldn't think it's Stephen Baxter would tolerate anything like that. Newry, for me, actually, it's a bit of a surprise that, that they are where they are because I... Thought, albeit there's a new manager come on board, an inexperienced manager, he hasn't been a number one before. I actually thought their squad this season was stronger than it was last season. And so for them to be in, in the position they are isn't what I would have expected. Maybe it's just going to take a little bit of time, and maybe now sort of at the halfway point of the season, getting that result can be a can be a trigger. Um, so that, that that that's obviously going to remain to be seen. But Friday night's a big one when they when they host Balamina. That's that's a huge game. You can't, you can't downplay that one at all. That is that is a huge game in terms of what can happen at the bottom of the table going forward. Whoever comes out on top of that will have a little bit of an advantage and cushion. And if if someone wins it, they've come off the back of it of a very very creditable draw last weekend. If they can go and win the game on Friday night, then yes, that it, it, they're on a bit of a, a roll. Like I say, that could be the spark for for whoever. It's Mammoth and it's two teams going into it. Before this weekend, it was on a whole lot of losses and it's two teams trying to get a bit of belief, get a bit of confidence, but they're kind of going into this feeling themselves a wee bit more and some people would probably say perhaps it's being down at Newry Showgrounds, that'll help them, but you know, Newry have had an awful run when it comes to home fixtures. The last time they won a game at home in the league, looking through it, and I'm sorry if I've, I've missed something obvious here, but what I can read what goes all the way back to the 12th of November last year when they won 4-1 against Carrick. You know, so they usually are better away from home, but they, they can't be giving away results against Balamina. You know, if they are to leave Balamina in their dust this season and even scoot their way beyond 11th, which they did do last season... Turning around their home form will be key. Scoring goals will be massive. And I talked last week about how I, I think John McGovern is going to give them a, a new lease of life going forward, give them a new outlet. And his energy up top was key, really, to latch onto that ball, to capitalise on the parry from Tuffy. And it's it's a mistake, ultimately, at the back from Crusaders, who, who let Nuri in, but they kept pushing, kept kept going for it, and despite not having the quality, they kept working. And for the crews, it's another poor result. Uh, you know, they go from getting whipped by their rivals in Cliftonville last week, they lose to Portadown in the cup. You know, this is a really bad run. And I know they're injured in some key positions and they, they haven't got their best players on the pitch, but they still should have squad depth they still should have that killer instinct to put this game away there were some huge chances and yuri rode their luck but unless you're ruthless in in this league you're going to to miss out this is this is the difference between the three teams that look to be creating a huge gap between 
teams like Crusaders and the likes of Cliftonville who are sitting pretty and making themselves feel pretty comfortable when it comes to European spots, even this early in the season. Yeah, what you're saying there about Newry, um, I actually saw somebody with a tweet earlier on saying that Newry haven't won a home game since they beat Portadai this time last year. Um, I didn't want to be the pedant who was going to say, well, they didn't actually win that game as such. But yeah, you've got to win your home game. You've got to pick up points on your, on your own patch if you're going to do anything. And if, if you're not winning home games, there's only one place you're going to be, and that's down at the foot of the table struggling. So that yeah, so that, I do think this game on Friday night is then crucial for Nuri to be able to push on. And Crusaders, I'm just looking back there, and, and they had a really, really brilliant run through October. Um, but November, and, and obviously that ended the start of December, has been pretty poor for them. They did get a win at, at lock all. They needed a, a goal well in the injury time that day. And they could have actually lost that game. It was lock all had a couple of really good chances um, when it was level. And so you just wonder what, what has happened at, at Crusaders. Is it just the case of injuries and not being able to get a, a settled side? Um, because everyone needs that, no matter what level of the game you're at. And that, that's what, how the top teams do well when they have a settled side. Um, so maybe if Stephen Baxter can, can get that again, get that consistency in selection, that will the consistency in results. Um, because I look at it and I think cable-wise, you know, they are a bit behind, but it's 11 points off the lead, which at this stage of the season, with a game in hand, isn't insurmountable. They, they, you would think that they could still push themselves into a title race, but they need to start putting results together. It's the numbers do not lie. Since that defeat of Dungannon four one in late October, they've went on and scored five goals in six games. It, it's it says it all. They do get a victory against local but they need to start turning things around there. And I know they came into this season a wee bit light on it. With it pretty much being up to Lecky or Jordan Owens to be the man leading the line to score the goals. Hately, you know, another season where you're relying on him. And he has delivered consistently, there's no doubt. And they've brought in extra useful players in Thielen and Lloyd Anderson. But it's just not coming their way. And the lorry goals have dried up this season. And Ben Kennedy's been out. And uh, look, it was a beautiful strike I thought from Forsyth I just love to see the travel of the ball go straight into the, the back of the net but it's it's the lack of goals which uh, sees them slip up here and for the, for them they, they'll be looking around them and what they'll see is again their rivals in North Belfast win another game and, and make this feel even further away and Giffenville like didn't make it easy for themselves they didn't have a great performance that first half uh, was not a uh was not a prime example of how great they can be, but they put in a, a brilliant second half performance where, once again, Ben Wilson, who comes off the bench for the second weekend in a row, and this time he grabs two goals and uh, helps Cliftonville get to a 4-1 victory over an informed Dungan and Swift, so at Stangmore Park. Um, it wasn't pretty for a long time of this game, but uh, it looks on paper like a another great win for the Reds as they... Don't miss the chance in the same way that Lauren did to try and close that gap this weekend between them and the leaders Limfield. Yeah, I was actually sitting in the press box at, at Moorview on Saturday and got the half time and there was there was hardly any goals scored across the five games that were on and we're wondering 
what way are these games going to go? And then, then Dungallon score, and I was thinking, this is an unusual weekend, <laughs> given what happened on Friday night. Dungallon have just gone 1-0 up against Cliftonville, as good teams do, and, and as good goal scorers. You know, Joe Gormley steps up with the equaliser, and then Wilson gets two. These guys are just class act. Jim Magildan is very, very fortunate to have that type of firepower in his squad. They've conceded 10 goals in 19 games, which is only conceded once sort of every other game on average. Only Linfield have scored more goals. They're scoring a lot more than they concede. And that's that's a really good recipe. They've been brilliant at the back when it comes to stats. And they've been looking good. And they do go a goal behind. And then they just turn it around in the, in the second half. And I tweeted out myself, uh, Niffle obviously, pumped out the video but you've just got to see that goal where it's what 25 passes for the Ben Wilson goal and it's just it's Cliftonville all over it's pass pass move 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 and it's late in the game and it, it just shows you the mentality that they have and I, I stopped myself putting this little caveat to it where I just looked at it and thinking this is not something you would have seen in the Irish League five ten seven years ago it just this is ideas in football being put into action here in the Irish League that we're not just this this league that's one way of playing and it's and it's all the best players going forward. I, I, I it's always exciting when you see Cliftonville. It's always entertaining when you're a neutral and right now they have a style of play and it's working and it's it's easy on the eye. The results are coming. It just must feel great to be a Reds fan this season. It's that ability to stay in games and stick at it and keep doing what you're good at and keep doing what you know will conjure up a, a chance. But yes, there's, there's been times when they haven't got the result, particularly in a couple of games against Linfield, but more often than not, they keep doing what they're doing, they will they will chalk off wins. Well, you talk about goals, a fixture that's delivering them in spades this season is Carrick against Lock All, following up their 4-3 at Lakeview uh, earlier on in the season, Carrick and Lock All share the spoils to each. A really entertaining game between these two sides who just love to attack, love to run forward. And uh, in the end, it's probably a fair result, but uh, some great goals in here. My pick of the bunch is Benji McGee. Just, I, I'm always raving about him on this podcast, but uh, he takes the ball into the box, able to push off a defender get into the six yard and then just slide in the ball pa- past the keeper. But Danny Perkis was not to be denied. He gets his team back into 2 2s. The result probably is a good point for, for both teams. It will also feel like two points dropped for both of them. And uh, you talk about Cruz looking for a striker. Well, I think they have one. His name's Jay Boyd, but he's playing for Lock All. He's the, he's the guy that... Uh, made it honours even on 49 minutes but uh, yeah I, I, I think both these teams have been exciting to watch It's it's been at the back where they've they've slipped up at times and on this occasion that's exactly how it played out yeah I've seen for a bit of luck all this season and surprising me now that they're maybe making a, a few goals because they have been fairly solid at the back on most occasions even against the, the better sides but up front I think they've got two guys up there are enjoying playing football and enjoying the chances that are getting made for them. McGee's obviously catching the eye because he's scoring goals, uh, as is, is Jay Boyd. Yeah, McGee just seems to be having fun and enjoying himself playing in the Premiership. And then he's got those guys around him in Ferris and Boyd who will put a massive shift in. 
And last but not least, a game that had so much stuff going on. A big red card, which I did not think was a red card at all. It ends 1-1. Let's talk about the decision first. Danny Wallace, another red card for him for what you can only assume was for a big high boot coming in with a tackle with uh, Jarvis of Coleraine. I've already said, I don't think it's a red card. I don't even think he perhaps made contact with the Coleraine player. You were there. What do you think? My initial reaction at the time was that it wasn't a particularly bad challenge. I also initially thought that the referee is going to deem that as a duds up. And I thought he's going red here. But I do think Danny was hard done by because it's not just that he that he got the ball, because getting the ball isn't the defence in, in football anymore. All of the ball and any contact there was with, with Aaron Jarvis, the fact that it was studs up was just consequential. If he makes that challenge any other way, Danny Wallace, and he makes contact with, with the player, I don't really think there's going to be much come out of it. He goes for the ball with his studs up because that's the only way he's really going to go and win the ball. And he did, he won the, he won the ball. It was possibly because of the nature of how he made contact, possibly a yellow card. I thought red was, was harsh. And when you see the replay, if there was contact, if there was 100% or not, it was around the, the foot ankle area. It's a contact sport. And even when I play at a very, very low level in the, the five sides and things that I play, I'm expecting there to be contact around my feet and ankles because that's the nature of the game. Unless the referees just decided that it, yeah, the letter of the law said studs up, you're you're gone, it's red. That's the only reason I can think that he that he that he's given that as a as a red card. I don't feel as though the referee from his position, he there's a chance I don't want to say outright, but I felt as though perhaps that was a difficult call for him to make because Jarvis is likely obstructing his view of, of where the point of contact was. I messaged people who were in the ground that day. And they were surprised. They thought it wasn't a red card. They, they'd be, from a similar point of view, from the Glenavon stand. They thought they they heard contact, which I can always play into it as well. It was quite early on. Glenavon had to play a long time. They were on an exit run up into this game. A long time with only 10 men. I thought they stood tall. They were really resilient. They did eventually let up. And Corey got the goal. But they kept coming at them. And it was Callum Burney. The man who got the goal back to steal a point back for the Lurgan Blues to keep their undefeated run going into six games. The defender turned deft attacker. Um, there's not, I haven't seen too much stuff out there, but another point of contention for a lot of Gladden fans was that Jimmy Glacken was quite high on Jack Malone on the other side of the pitch in the second half uh, with his boot and could have easily been a red card if uh, you viewed it that way. And uh, just Glenavon will feel like they were on a great run and perhaps if things had gone their way from a decisions point of view, they could be sitting here on six wins in a row. A couple of things that within that. Um, the sending off happened two minutes before half time, so I kind of anticipated that, that Glenavon would make a change at the break and, and bring someone else on to, to show them up at the back uh, to step into Danny's place. They brought on Sean Ward. Possibly not a better player in the league you could bring on in that situation. Sean Ward just steadied everything, controlled everything, made sure that they, they, they kept the shape at the back, made sure there was players covering in front of them in midfield, and that's how they frustrated. Coleraine, who didn't put enough on Rory Brown for me, and it didn't show enough urgency against 10 men um, to go and break them down any earlier. 
Jamie Glack an incident with, with Jack Malone to me was, was straight yellow card. No problem with that. As far as I'm aware, it, it, it's, a, it's a high boot. considered dangerous play rather than any sort of serious foul play. His boot comes up as Jack Malone's head comes down. We've seen it so many times in the game. Um, I don't think it was anything other than a yellow card game because there was, there's zero intent there other than put his foot up to try to, to win the ball. David McDonald's frustration was that on more than one occasion, Jamie was going to ground looking for, for free kicks and thinking that there really wasn't the contact there to be putting them down. To be told by um fourth official that not, a, not, not every time someone dives um, is worthy of a yellow card. Uh, that was Stephen's quotes to me um, at the end of the game. So that was his frustration that Jamie's already on a yellow card. He's walking a, a tightrope and didn't do himself any favour in other periods of the game. But yeah, Coley in an odd performance against against 10 men because they didn't show like say, any urgency or any rush to, to go and get the ball in behind Glenavon and, and cause them problems. She tweaked things with the personnel he had on the pitch. Then he made a couple of changes. It still wasn't really working. And then an old-fashioned knock from inside your own half up to the, the big centre-forward and Andrew Mitchell. Knocked down and Credit to Jamie Glacken, his, his finish was superb. A lovely half volley into the bottom corner to, to, to put Corian up. Glenavon kept going and probably showed more attacking intent after going 1-0 down. Callum Birdie going up front was a, was a surprise, but it seemed that, that Stephen McDonald had thought about it before and paid off. It's, it's one of those ones, if, if it pays off, he's a genius. If it doesn't, he's an idiot. You probably say we could talk about this any week. It's one of those topics that come and go, but in the week that it has been, we can't go and let this podcast pass without us talking about that news broke last week that uh, there had been a proposal from US investors to the FAI about a plan for a Premier League Ireland. The reporting was first came out through the Irish Independent, uh, Dana McDonnell, the journalist and pretty much it's another pitch to try and make an all-Ireland all-island league and this pitch came from investors where they were reportedly offering 90 million euros for commercial control of this new league that was investment that they wanted to put into this to try and see if they could get this league off the ground clearly they see something they see enough potential they would want to invest such money such abundance of funds and talk is that pretty much that the fai weren't interested there's also talk that uh, some officials from the ifa were contacted you know we're not quite sure how, how they reacted but it does bring this up once again talk of an all island league there's no details on how it would happen how it would come together i think from a fan's point of view I don't know if there's a huge push from a majority of fans saying this is something they really want. But clearly the people that are looking at balance sheets are having an eye on the future, are looking to try and progress football here, as well as trying to make a bit of dollar themselves. They think there's something in this idea. As a fan, what does your head tell you about this, Stuart? 
and perhaps as a journal, is there a certain sense where the idea of summer football and changing the league just keeps coming and coming and coming? And we know that there's some key figures within the league that, that really wanted to happen. And I know that some fans feel this feels like some sort of inevitability. I don't think that's the case with an all-island league, but talk seems to be coming around more and more. You used to do the words there once again. Uh, it does seem to be every so often that this comes around. And I go back to probably 16, 17 years ago when uh, there was a group, uh, Platinum One, um, a company down based in Dublin, who were, were pushing this idea of an All-Ireland League and they were having meetings even with players to try and get them on board and see what they thought. And then we had maybe about four or five years ago, Kieran uh, Lucid, Kerry businessman. He was trying to push this um, and he was rebuffed very early on by the IFA. I do remember um, around about that time, a story broke that 10 of the 12 premiership clubs at that time had written to the IFA to say they would like to find out more about the potential of an All-Ireland League, but it obviously never got anywhere near coming off the ground. This one was quite interested in that the figures were being thrown around and usually money talks. And if you start to offer clubs big financial incentives, you, you know you can start to win them around to get them at least to the table to talk about it. This seems to have come and gone very, very quickly, this one. you know, If, if you're not going to be a club that's making that cut for an All-Ireland League, you're not going to vote for it. You know, you're not going to get a Balamina, for example, in, in their current position saying, yeah, an All-Ireland League would be great. They're not going to be anywhere near it. I just think that clubs might be wary if they're not going to be in it. Say, I'm a little bit surprised, initially anyway, that the clubs who would more or less be guaranteed a place aren't wanting to know a little bit more about it. While I would be able to broadly suggest, or you could just go back and, and find the quotes, you would say that this team supports the idea of a summer league, to go back to that. When it comes to the All-Island League question, there's not as clear data, there isn't clear answers from, from many of the clubs when it comes to management, when it comes to the board, when it comes to Chiefs in there. I still have that little document that came about from that proposal a number of years ago. It was a really interesting document where it went into how the island of Ireland has a bigger population than Scotland. And compared to some of the teams that are earning big, big money from the size of the Scottish League, you compare to some of those areas, the likes of you know, St. Johnson is from Perth, and that's a population of 47,000. You have Motherwell, you know, that's 32,000 when it comes to the area of, of that town. You, you compare that to some areas and towns within the island of Ireland, and you're thinking they're far, far bigger, or of similar size to a Motherwell or, or St. Johnson. And who would want this? I know what you mean. If you are a team at the bottom of the top flight, you're thinking, well, to be honest, I'm not really get much headway against the top teams in our division. I don't know if I really want to try or really find out how it goes when I'm going against some Pats and, and Shelburne and, and Shamrock Rovers. However, let's talk about the elephant in the room. We have some full-time teams in this league. We all know who they are. And they clearly would rather be playing against a team who's bringing a thousand fans to their stadium every time compared to some teams in this league who might not even bring 50. And with that, 
They obviously want more revenue so they can grow their team, so they can pay for these full-time players, maybe even attract better players because they're in a higher-profile league. Where's this money going to come from? Well, I guess the idea is it's going to come from broadcasting. It's going to come from sponsors. And the question will be is when there's talk of trying to get involved, the FAI, IFA, NIFL, we see tonight of that we're recording this podcast that we, we've seen the four big Belfast teams announce that they're doing a elite youth league and they're creating this whole new invitational network and they're going to invite these other academies and look that's that's all networking things and, and they can they can do what they want there that's that's youth football and trying to progress use sides and, and help themselves and get better talent and, and stuff like that but to say it out loud yes they are obliged to stick around but what if Linfield Lorne Cliftonville Cruz Glentorn even that in Coleraine if they want to join and, and then they push it's one of those things where do they want to get into that fight do the organizers want to do that and if we're talking about how Summer football is going to help the league by X amount get more revenue. Expanding the league to beyond just Northern Ireland could make more money for these clubs. Is that not going to interest them, perhaps? If if you could get as the baseline for joining an All-Ireland League, hypothetically, was more money for finishing last in that league than it would be playing in Europe, which is always the big golden egg that, that people talk about how why would you want to leave this when you're giving up potentially a quarter of a mil in European money if finishing last in this all island fantasy league is 300 grand let's just say and there's nothing to prove that would even come close to that is that not going to be enticing to club owners I think that's exactly the key point there is what you've hit on because um, if you go into if you put two leagues into one you're immediately cutting down the number of European places. And rather than four from each jurisdiction going in, it's four overall. So you've got less of a chance. So if suddenly you're going, well, you don't have to qualify for, for Europe to get that type of money in, you're going to get that anyway. That could be the game changer. Um, because like I said, earlier money, money talks. If you're telling someone, you can finish bottom of the league and get a quarter of a million rather than having to, to fight your way into the top four or through playoffs and things like that. It might prick a bit of interest. I think the problem is... Plus you have maybe 1,500, let's say, Derry City fans coming to your ground twice a year. You know, Derry brought 20,000 to Dublin for that, that cup final last year and the one recently sold tens of thousands when it comes to the FAI Cup. If you're a chairman of, of an Irish League team, particularly one at the top end, you're looking at that and you're seeing dollar signs. I, I think that is the great unknown, though, is how many travelling supporters would you get going to these places? I love the Satanta Cup. In the early days, it was fantastic. And I certainly think in theory, that is, is, is a big thing, you know, to get travelling supporters. And like you say... There's a lot of games in the Irish League where there's not an awful lot of the away stand. Um, I was actually very, very surprised by how the few fans Korean brought them one view park on Saturday. Um, we all want atmosphere. We all want games that are, that are watched by, by big crowds. 
And if you've got a full home stand and a full away stand, it creates a spectacle. And I think that then leads itself to being appealing for TV. And then you can get maybe more revenue that way. I, I, I think it is the great unknown as to how much it would appeal to travel supporters. People always say, oh, if you're going to, to Dundalk, you're looking at two days and you're looking at an overnight either before or after. Limerick's not exactly close either. Dublin is doable. You know, down and up on the same day, no matter where you are, I think, on the island, even if you're going in a, a dairy city. I would, I would love to see grounds full, but I'm just not sure it's there's one thing I can guarantee you, Stuart, that I know for sure. This is absolutely not the first, and it will not be the last time that I will discuss this topic on this podcast. And uh, I pre no, like I say, it comes around about every four to five years. I, so uh, that's that set of watches for about twenty twenty seven. It'll be coming around. And I know there's some people absolutely screaming at this podcast and had all these suggestions, but I'm just here to set it out of of what the topics are of either side. And at the minute. We can't even get into how would there be relegation and promotion? How many teams? How would it work? All those things. But we will address it when it comes round. So uh, sticking a pin in it. And uh, quickly before we actually talk about uh, this weekend's games, uh, you are of the Mid-Ulster persuasion. I'm sure it's been busy this season with Glenavon and Lockall doing bits in the top flight and then Portadown on their big new adventure trying to get out of the championship uh, of course many people may already know the results of these games by the time they're hearing this but on Tuesday evening this week uh, big games for all those teams Glenavon have got a repeat of that rather testy affair against Coleraine except up at the Coleraine showground and lock all go to Shamrock Park to play against Portadown both these games in the quarterfinals of the League Cup uh, Portland actually beat Lockall in the Middlester Cup last week. So, interesting couple of games. And it, it, it's set up, particularly with Linfield going uh, against Lorne in the fourth quarterfinal, the one being Dungannon uh, against Newry, that a team non-top six, obviously Coleraine's the other top six team still in there, for a team to go on a little bit of a run here. Given that the, the draw for the semi-final has already been made, before the quarterfinals are played, I think there's a massive incentive for any of those four teams, uh, Portadown, Lockall, Coleraine, Glenavon, to get to the final. Coleraine have been in the last three League Cup finals, so and they're the highest-placed team out of the, those four. So they would be naturally considered the favourites, but there's nothing to suggest that any of those other three teams can't be in a, in a, in a League Cup final come next February, March. Can Portadown pull off a similar feat to when they were in the championship back in 2009 and go off and, and win the League Cup. They've done it before. There's... It would be some story. Yeah, it would, but it wouldn't be a massive, massive surprise if they at least got to the final. I don't think the Middlester Cup game against Lockall last week has any burn on this one. Lockall made a few changes. It's, it's a tough one to call. And if Portadown were to play like he did against Crusaders in the last round, they've got a big, big chance. The other one, You'd probably make Coleraine favourites because they're at home, um, but they would need to play an awful lot better than they did on Saturday, and maybe Glenavon know how to play against them and how to contain them, and if they can keep eleven players on the pitch, and create a, a few chances, then you just you just never know. And they're the team that's on form; they've got momentum. Stephen McDonald's confident; the players are confident. And when you're on a winning run, you know, winning becomes a habit. It's much much easier to win games when you're winning them. 
beforehand. A proper Middlesbrough derby in the semi-final, particularly with them being in separate divisions, just would be a little bit tasty. But I think we... Yeah, bring it on. We need one of those this day. It would, it would be fun, wouldn't it, from, from uh, I guess, a neutral's point of view. Uh, I'm sure many people will be predicting uh, a repeat final of... Uh, Coleraine against Limfield, but of course we could see a repeat final of that 2009 final. We could see Nuri against Portadown, run it back, whatever it is, many years later. Uh, <laughs> it would be some going between two teams who have uh, not much love for each other in recent times. Cup football, and as we know, anything can happen. Um, but uh, yeah, if you could get us some odds on the Portadown Nuri final, um, maybe worth a pound of anyone's money. Well, if you want to get down to it, uh, you're more than welcome to. Uh, just don't be using my money. Uh, but we will uh, point our attention towards this weekend's game. Six uh, full schedule in the top flight. Three on Friday, three on Saturday. Let's go through Friday's games first. Where Carrick hosting the cruise is your stream game. And uh, this is just a cruise Every game now is a get-right game, try and get themselves on track, but they're going to have to tighten themselves up the back because Carrick Rangers, particularly at home, will come at them. And this would have felt only a few weeks ago as a nailed-on Crusaders win, but I definitely think, particularly being at Taylor's Avenue and the way both teams have been playing, this is more even than it has been in a long time. For Crusaders, this may be considered possibly the worst game that they could have. Um, given that the, the the run that they've been on, where to the camp that he's string a couple of wins together lately, going down to Taylor's Avenue on a Friday night is not conducive to oh, getting their back on track. The flip side of that could be that they are well aware of that and will step up. I look at the you know, the, the stats and you know, character you have sort of the, the second worst defensive record in the league, which isn't going to help them. Um, get up the table and Crusaders may be able to, to play on that um, and it, I think the style of both teams means that this is going to be a physical battle it's going to be intensity from, from both teams and um, while it may not be one for the purest it doesn't always have to be like that to, to be entertaining I think this could be a, a really good good one for the for the viewers on the stream it's one of those ones where we Crusaders would need to get going again and, and find themselves. And I think particularly after that Newry result, the first thing that they'll be going in to work on is finding that killer instinct. And Carrick Rangers do not have the most stout of defences. Saying that, neither do Crusaders. But I think Crusaders might just squeak this maybe 2-1, 3-1 perhaps. And if Carrick are to have a chance of taking all three. They'll just have to tighten up at the back and perhaps outscore a limp Crusaders team. Lorne against Glenavon. Lorne trying to shake off that poor result against Balamina, hosting Glenavon. We all know the run that Glenavon's on. Glenavon go into this on a short week, uh, as some people might say, having played in the League Cup. But of course, so will Lauren have. So kind of adds a bit of extra chaos to this game. How, how will these teams react to it? And uh, as much as I think Glenavon have really sharpened up and uh, are playing um, really well as a unit, they aren't particularly scoring a whole lot of goals. 
going forward. And I think perhaps just that Lauren Firepower, which was missing in action last Saturday, will will find themselves and uh, will help score Lauren to the victory. I'm going to say 2 0 to the Inverreds. As much as Glenavon have been on a really good run, those games have been against the, the bottom six. And Saturday was the first point that they taken under Stephen McDonald against the, the top six team. So this is a completely different test for them. What you might get here is a real measure of the difference between, not so much the difference, sorry, between full-time and, and part-time. It's the difference between a full-time team playing on a Tuesday to Friday and a part-time team playing an away game at Tolerian and an away game at Lauren from Tuesday to Friday um, and what impact that may have on, on a performance. I know from speaking to Stephen McDonald on Saturday, he he won't have anything like that as, as an excuse. You know, he's a footballer. You know, this shouldn't be an issue. Everyone wants to just play games rather than listen to him on a on a training ground. But we know that there are certain factors that can come into the things to the influence of performance. And if you've got guys that are coming out of their work, the dart the cold rain, to play a game on a Tuesday night, to go home, to go to bed, to get up again on on. Wednesday morning to go to the work, not having a great recovery, and then having to dart the lawn to play a game on a Friday night. We know that 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 preparation isn't perfect. Whereas Lauren will have their feet up, and they'll be in on Wednesday morning doing a, doing a session just to get the legs moving again, and and they'll just do some light stuff before then going out again on on Friday, and they'll be in a, in a better place, and that would lead you to to think that. Lauren will go in and win this game without too much difficulty. But it will also be similar styles. You talked earlier about the, the Cliftonville goal and, and, and that not being something you would have seen in the league so many years ago. But Lauren play play football, they keep it on the ground and move it around. And Glenavon have been have been starting to do that too. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of way Glenavon play when they're faced with a team that, that want to play football as well. We spoke earlier, Newry hosting Balamina, Nuri having an awful record at home when it comes to securing the victory. Balamina not having a particularly hot uh, away for themselves. I'm going to say this outright. I think it's the key difference in these two teams. I think Nuri are going to win this 3-0. And I, I think what I've seen recently, uh, despite not being as proficient as they would like to be at the back, what Nuri have is players who can attack and players who can uh, cause trouble going forward, looking forward, McGovern, Sally, and I just think on this occasion, they'll be up for it and they'll get the goals. And uh, what Balamina lack is, is just a bit of a killer touch up top. Even if they get the ball to progress, they just don't have the players to get forward. And I think they might get shell-shocked here. Likely to be probably just a, a score to straw or 1-1, but I, I just fancy this to be a bit of a coming-out game for Newry City off the back of that Crusaders game. There's no doubt that Newry do have the, the attack and talent they, um, they've talked about there. Um, you and I were at the game earlier in the season when they were at Glenavon and it wasn't a particularly great game, but they were a very, very big threat going forward. Definitely have that, that talent. But when it does click, they, they can score goals and like we said earlier, it's just about which of these teams wants to embrace that result that they got last Saturday and really drive on and, and kick on from it. Yeah, I do think that just that extra dread that Neary have and, and McGovern coming back into the team adds to that. 
I would I would tend to agree with you that, that they would be really be the team more likely to to take this. And again, we're talking about it, Bark getting a point, coming from behind to get that against Crusaders last week as a spark. Then going and winning this one, getting the, the home form back on track could be a, a, an even bigger spark for them. And suddenly, if they can win this, there's three points ahead of Palomina at the bottom of the table, and then they can start to try and look up a bit. And Palomina said defensively great against Lauren, but they've got to they've got to repeat that, and they haven't been good enough at the back. And it's not just me saying that; their own manager has said that this season that they haven't been good enough at the back. Um, and if they're not good enough at the back, given the pace that Mary have up there and the you know, sort of the incisiveness of, of the like of Ford as well, um, yeah, they, they could definitely punish them. A fun little outing there. Going to Saturday, Coleraine host Lockall again. Another fixture where teams will be uh, playing in the cup midweek. Lockall going up the Korean showgrounds. I, I think, despite how poor Korean have been, I think that Korean have the weapons to unlock that Lockall back line. It would be a great result if Lockall would be able to get the goals to get a result up there. But I, I just think the pace and the tenacity that Korean do have, uh, I think they'll get the goals to win. But it'll all depend on if Lockall can get themselves going up top as well. And if they cannot be bewildered by by the trip uh, it could be close I'm going to say 2-1 here to Coleraine. Coleraine haven't won in four in the league and they, they haven't been scoring a huge amount of goals um, in those games I'm just going on what, what I saw at the weekend and they, they would need to be an awful lot better than they were against Glen Avon if they're going to win this one. Yeah they're capable of it they've, they've got the squad you know, that, that's never um, a question with, with this Coleraine team it's just what performance you're going to get from them. And then on the other side of that one, Lockall, who I've, I've seen a lot of and they've done very well. They've maybe hit the, the period in the season where you anticipated they, they would hit and then around the halfway point, could they start to could they grind out results when the going got tough through November, December, January? And then they're not doing that at the minute. And they, they do need to get themselves back on track and it's one thing getting a, a point at, at Taylor's Avenue. It's another thing going up to the Korean and getting the point form wise. Form wise, it's it's a, it is a difficult one to call, but yeah, I suppose the fact that Korean are at home, you you'd be leaning towards them. If Lockall could go there and and get a result, they're they're threatening Korean for for their place in the top six, and that's a that's a big incentive. You know, I've spoke to Dean Smith after several games when they've been potentially getting into the top six or getting at least very very close to it. So that 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 that, like I say, that is the the incentive for them. Yeah, they they just, they just seem to have hit this patch where you know they are starting to realise that the, the Premiership. Yeah, it's fun at the start. You've got all that enthusiasm, but you get you get nineteen games into at the halfway point. Yeah, you've got to you've got to do a little bit more. Um, so they've got to do that now. Um, so yeah, if you're asking me for for a call with you are, yeah, I'll I'll go with with Corian for this one as well, but. A tight one, a tight one. You're going two one. I would say that will not be too far away from what would be the final outcome. It really shows how far Lockall have come. That that it feels this close. That that it wouldn't be a massive shock if they are to get the result up up there towards the north coast. So yeah, it could be close. I, I don't know if this game will be the uh, angry dog. No doubt that Linfield will be as they host Dungannon Swifts at Windsor Park. Look, Linfield just are not 
dropping points at Windsor Park these days. The last time they lost the game there, well, uh, it would need to uh, be against the colours of Lauren. Um, Dungannon go in feeling a bit good. Two wins out of three, despite that loss against Cliftonville. But I, I just don't think over 90 minutes they will have the ability to withstand what Linfield are going to throw at them. And I think I'm going to say it's maybe a 3-1, perhaps Lusty springs an attack on again, but more than likely to be a 3-0. A so Linfield here, not uh, not hard to back them in this situation, I think. No, I can't see anything other than a, than a Linfield win in this one, with all respect to, to Rodney, Rackery and, and Dungannon. Linfield are a superior side. They're at home. They don't often slip up two games in a row. And much as they do play Lauren in, in the cup in between. I wouldn't have liked to have been in the Linfield change room last Friday night. I know Andy Waterworth said on his, on his commentary, uh, he'd like to have been a fly on the wall. And he was like, well, actually, no, I wouldn't. Um, I, I, would agree, I would tend to agree with him. I don't think I would have been a place that would have been any fun or enjoyment at all. And I would say that the Linfield change room before they go out on Saturday against Dungannon will be, will be a tense place. David will be drilling in those players that you do not go out and perform. Like you did last Friday night at the Oval. Otherwise, you know, January's coming and I don't care who you are. You know, there's an exit door there and you could be going out it. Someone could get a, a harsh reaction off Limfield here, be it this week or be it in, in, in the coming week. Random thing that's popped into my head randomly could we see a Linfield player get sent off early and then make this a bit of an entertaining one? I know he. That's just as a wild assumption to make, but I don't know if we're, if we're looking for twists and tails in the season, you never what you never know what it could be. Getting a wee bit too excited and making it harder for Linfield when they don't need to make it difficult themselves at all. Let's go to the game of the weekend. High flying Cliftonville go against a resurgent Glentoran. Will Cliftonville keep going and uh, send Glentoran back down to earth with a bump? Or will Cliftonville be uh, the latest team to feel the wrath of this brand new, rejuvenated Glentoran? It's uh, two teams who like to attack. The fact that it's at solitude definitely favours Cliftonville. I think Glentoran will need to show that they can perform beyond just that one game against the Blues. And I just think with all this attacking force... I do think this will be a, a return to earth for Glentoran, and I think Cliftonville will win this out three one. Yeah, you're going, you're going three one. So you're you're anticipating that the Cliftonville are going to concede, which they they don't do very often. Well, it, the um, way McGinn and O'Connor is playing, you got to give them something. But uh, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I I did my team last week, and I I even now I'm sitting there thinking, you know what, there probably should be more Cliftonville players along that along that back line uh but uh yeah i i i i think they'll get the goals and that and that'll be the key thing to get victory here we, we talked earlier on about the stats and, and cliftonville's goals compared to the, the goals they concede i think that they're they've got to be massive favorites for this one on their home patch the form they're in the goal scorers they have and that's even without ben Thorne coming off the, the back of a fantastic victory um this is this is a test that I've I've said before many, many times about teams in various leagues and and that um once you get a big result, Glentoran have got to follow it up now. One thing beating Linfield four 0 and yeah, back in the day it would have been one of those ones where they're trotting out the DVDs of that one for someone to have as their keepsake. Um 
But if that's a, if that's just a one-off result, it's not going to do actually Warren Feeney any favours. Um, and the players, they have probably set themselves a bar that people aren't going to accept them dropping off any lower. So if they don't go and follow that up, yeah, it's just a one-off result and they can't get consistent. Um, and that might be the, the, uh, the motivation for them, but Pustinville have been doing very, very well. They don't concede many and they score a lot more than they, than they concede. And I think I think it may have been the last time I was on with you. It was just before Glen had Cliftonville at the Oval earlier in the season. I think I was anticipating maybe Cliftonville going there and winning. Uh, Glen's got a 1-0 that day. I do see this one being different. I just think Cliftonville are in a bit of a groove. And coming from behind last Saturday, even if it was against Dungannon, Doing that at Stangmore Park is not easy. Um, other teams have faltered at Stangmore this season, even though Glengarnham aren't doing particularly well. Um, so to come back from 1-0 down there and win 4-1 shows a bit of character. And on their home patch, in a bit of form, with goal scorers and not conceding too many, um, I'm definitely going to go uh, on this one. And then what that means for Glentoran going forward, if, if uh, the, the big two win is just a one-off, I don't really know. Um, that, that's, that's going to be the test. We have just uh, earned ourselves the the privilege of being on a couple of uh, Glentoran dartboards this week. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. I'm sure Twitter is a place where you guys will be able to tell us off. If there's a chance they want to go tell you that your opinion was brilliant, Stuart, or more likely tell you that you're... But they disagree with you very politely. Where can they do that online, sir? Yeah, it's that Stuart D. McKinley on Twitter. Um, and if anyone wants to take my predictions seriously, I can go back to the days when we used to do them um, weekly in, in the Telegraph. And there was a, there was a particular manager back then who um, he's actually back involved in the league. And I, after being out for a while, giving away who it was. Um, and if I was speaking to him, he'd have asked me, are you on the predictions this week? I said, yeah. He said, put us down to get beat. He always wanted me to put, put his team down to get beat. Whether he was using that as an incentive in the changing room, I don't know. Um, but then he, he he also said to me once, um, do you do a bet on, the, on that you know, if you do the predictions? And I, I sort of laughed and went, no. Have you read my predictions? So, yeah, I wouldn't be putting any money on, on my predictions um, but we get we call it as, as honestly and as, and as best we, we can and uh, yeah just think that it's a league that if you want to go into how accurate you can be just go and look at last weekend and like I said if anyone if anyone made money out of bets last weekend well done, I'll shake your hand. That's very true. Bonkers weekend last weekend, and uh, I'm just glad that my fantasy team somewhat survived uh, that uh, <laughs> that uh, unlikely turn of events, unfortunately. Uh, but hey, that's all. That's how it goes. I don't think the other players were able to uh, totally grasp what went down themselves anyway, so uh, I didn't do too bad. But Stuart, once again, thank you so much for uh, jumping on the pod this week. It's been an absolute pleasure. Till next time, cheerio. Very welcome, absolute pleasure, and I look forward to, to chatting again as this uh, tight race starts to work its way out. Um, last season we had one stage five teams in the hunt, um, might be down to, to three or four at the minute, but it's definitely going to be interesting as we 
as we get further and further in and I look forward to keeping an eye on it and chatting to you about it again. To be honest, still haven't got a single notion on not that that chat was going to help me decide what I was going to get, you know, my family for for Christmas or that type of stuff. But you know, sometimes you just think, chatting through things, inspiration will come. I know if you want to give me a little gift, you can do it early. Maybe you've done it already. You can subscribe to this very podcast by via Spotify or whatever your platform of choice is. You can hit a wee notification and say, hey, I want to subscribe, I want to follow. It's great. It means you get a notification and say, hey, Kicking Match is up. And especially with the past few weeks, people have needed different recording schedules, all, all the rest. Sometimes you're like, when on earth is he going to upload it? Hopefully I've got this to you nice and early on Tuesday evening. That's the aim. But if not, subscribing is a good way to know. Another way to know is if you follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. It's at Kicking Match on all of them. And I'm, as I'm sure you know that once I've got it done, once the pod is up, you can see the new graphic and I'll be posting stuff about it as well. So that's a good spot to do it there. I like I've said before, if you haven't got your Christmas tree up, well, you know probably should have come on timing you've only got a few weeks to go here you want to enjoy it for at least a few weeks rather than days but you can take this hands-free you can say hey smart speaker please play kicking match our stupid podcast big one long one time to get out of here until next week see you soon and have a great week my friend Dalio.